listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Academy of Private Practice. We're here, me and Ellie from Hello. Above the Law. Some of you know us, then some of you don't. Hello. For those of you who don't, you, you know, you're missing out on some really quality slander of people in the legal profession. So we are also broadcasting this through the Legal Talk Network. We're going to be putting this interview up on there as a special report. We have today, unless Ellie wants to say something before I keep going. Hello, thanks for coming. That's about all he has to say. So we have... We apparently have cauliflower with rice today. Cauliflower was great. Okay. It's weird. You don't like cauliflower? With rice? Who does that? It's weird. Anyway... We have, as a guest today, Monica Bay. Monica is recently retired from being the editor-in-chief of Law Technology News, which means what's important is if you were following her on Twitter at that job, you can't follow her old handle because that was the old, the old job handle. So her new handle is at Monica Bay. Very easy enough. So go start following now. If you, uh, if you were wondering why you weren't getting her tweets in your feed anymore, that was why. So I guess what we want to do is kind of talk about a wide variety of topics with you because you've covered this industry for a long time from a lot of angles. But first, I want to talk about your career real quick, like what got you here? Uh, Because you've done some of the kind of work that some people here are trying to do, being on their own. Believe it or not, I I got my journalism chops and doing rock and roll. When I was at the Minnesota Daily for grad school, I took a, there was an ad in the paper saying that the Minnesota Daily was looking for a rock and roll reviewer, and the editor at the time couldn't believe that a woman would have any interest to say nothing of knowledge, and <laughs> I could. So if you've ever seen the Cameron Crowe movie called Almost Famous, that it was very, very, in fact, Cameron and I were both freelancing together, for, not together, but at the same time, for Rolling Stone. And that is, aside from the stupid love thing, it, that was what was happening back then when Cameron and I were both doing that. Uh, it was very, very exciting, and I figure if, if I can get, you know, Chris Christopherson and Judy Collins and people like that to talk to me, that lawyers shouldn't be all that bad. Yes. <laughs> but you also had a legal career where you did some of the kind of Startup. Low, low-level tasks that, uh, yeah. Yeah. I put myself through law school working every horrible non-lawyer post in big law and small law and medium law and any kind of legal thing, putting myself through law school at the University of San Francisco. And that proved, to my shock and surprise, to be to end up absolutely informing my entire career because what I learned in in all those situations and you name it I did it discovery before it had an e in front of it and the worst possible jobs I learned a couple things one is the very best job you could get as a temp is to be the person that that greets people when they come in because you don't have to do a damn thing except dress well and they paid you well Um, but other than that I really came to see the incredible work that was being done by the non-lawyers. And they were absolutely invisible. It was so bad back then. The CIOs, the folks who, who were doing analysis, all these incredible, incredible folks. And they were just treated like absolute 
fungible. Um, so you went to law school to help non-lawyers. Well, I went to law school because I got pissed off. Uh, I did an investigative reporting thing at, against United Way when I was 26 and I was uh, in Sacramento. And I learned so much about journalism in that because there were three of us, um, myself, someone in San Francisco, and a third person who started reporting. And it went absolutely viral. This was before viral was even a word. And it took a long, long time, but eventually the folks, uh, I mean, it took years. The leaders that we were complaining about um, went to jail. So again, being 26 and young, it was quite, quite amazing. Congratulations on putting someone in jail without being a lawyer. <laughs> then, so you went through law school and you, and this kind of transitions into something you talk about, which is your passion for baseball. Congratulations, your team's in the playoffs. Yeah, um, sort of. And 10,000 wins, also good. Yeah. Ellie's, meanwhile, a Mets fan. He's been in the playoffs for a while. You're so you it. should have seen my house when Cespedes hit his hand. Oh. Like, it, was, yeah. it was bad news. It was bad news. Yeah. I'm better now. Yeah, I, did, I didn't become a Yankees fan until I came to New York, and then now I'm the, the family gene finally kicked into the annoyance. I turned my mom into a Yankee fan, which really, really annoys my brother, who's a Giants fan. But I digress. But the bottom line was, I was so pissed off at all the stuff that I went through to get doing the re- reporting. I mean, I was 26. I had a horrible old car. People slashed my cars. My phones were tapped. It was just really, really nuts. And I was up visiting my family, and my dad was an airline pilot, and my mom was a stew, so without United Airlines, I wouldn't be here. And <laughs> I said to my dad, you know, I had all these issues coming. I said, you know, you know I kind of wish I'd gone to law school, because I kept getting shut down by all these snotty people who didn't want to answer my questions, because I was 26 years old and a girl. And my dad turned around and looked at me and said, why not? Now, my dad is extremely Republican. I am not. And it was the last thing in the world that I expected that that he would say. And he looked at me and said, if you go for it, because I'd also been in school like forever. And he looked at me and said, if you only go for a year and you don't like it, you'll have a year where you learn some really pragmatic stuff. So I decided what the hell. I took the LSAT. I did well enough to know I could get in. And by that point, I had two choices. I was either going to go to the University of San Francisco or, or um, Golden Gate, because I was in San Francisco. I went to USF, and the rest is history. So people hated you enough to egg your car before you were a lawyer, and then you decided to... That's, double down on that. That's impressive. So after, after practicing for a five couple minutes. years, yeah, you say five minutes, it was like a year, year and, and a half. half. Yeah. yeah. So after that, you, you go into reporting on yep. the law. Yep. Uh, you're at Law Technology News for 30 years? Well, I went to the recorder, okay. which was at, before Brill had bought it. Okay. So I was at the recorder. I started in 1985. And so I was there for, I was in San Francisco for 13 years. And then I moved to New York to take over law technology news. I covered the organized bar. And when I was in law school, one, another thing that's, that's really fueled my career was I was so bored in law school that I got involved with the ABA. And because I was in the night plan, I had four years. And I found out recently I was not the first, I was the second, not the first night student to become a national officer of the law student division. I think I may have been, there might have been someone ahead of me in women, but I was very close to crashing that. And the advantage of that was 
because I had four years spending a lot of time with the ABA. I knew the ABA inside out, backwards and forwards. I knew who was who. I had contacts. I had trust and all that stuff. And ultimately applied to law school intending to go to continue to be a journalist. And that's ultimately what I did. But that experience, again, the things I did that I thought I was just making money or being entertained, ended up really, really influencing my entire career. And that's why I'm also so passionate about like LegalZoom and, and Rocket and Avo. And because I knew all that stuff inside and out, it really helped me have credibility in writing and, and knowledge. I mean, I, I really was able to report on the organized bar. A lot of the issues were unauthorized practice of law, which, of course, was the ongoing battle. The organized bar would just cream anybody who dared to suggest that you could sell them a, a piece of paper. NOLO was sued by the country of Texas because they wanted, they were going to try burning books, you know, 451. They literally were going to tell people that they couldn't publish. And of course they lost. And I was just so outraged because the stats right now are really, really depressing and frustrating and really we have to do something about this. And Jim Sandman, I always think, of, I remember his name because I'm Mo. And Sandman was at a, we did a conference this last spring with the American Bar Association, did a big, big thing on access to justice, et cetera. The statistics are heartbreaking. Number one, even lawyers don't really realize that there's no guarantee that you can have a lawyer in a civil matter. So that means domestic violence, that means losing your home, and all this stuff. 80% of Americans cannot find a lawyer or afford a lawyer. And that's just breathtaking. 90% of the eviction cases that go to New York courts, the defendants, 90% don't have lawyers. And guess what? The landlords, 90% have lawyers. And it's Often the same lawyers. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, this is how I got so passionate about technology because I think we're really, truly, utterly in a paradigm shift, and I, I know that's a jargon, which I usually don't like jargon, but if you really look at it, we're in such a point for change, and I think it's so exciting because on all these arenas, from IP to every single version of whatever you're doing, the development of technology that is handling issues, and this is what I do at Codex and Stanford, that these products and these services are freeing up lawyers from having to do the tedious you know, bookkeeping, et cetera, and allowing them to be focusing on the real problems. Right, and I, I think that's, that's a key to the technology component. Now, technology can help all sorts of practice of law. But as far as the focus here of, on the small and solo work, that's kind of why technology is so important. Yes. Because it can literally take on the jobs that you don't have the, the bandwidth to do. Uh, help you bookkeep. Yeah. Help you, yeah. You were also, one thing that we chatted about yesterday was when you're talking about things like the rocket lawyers of the world, it, there's kind of an impulse to believe that those are competitors, and they, they aren't really to you. That's the dirty little secret. Yeah. And last year, the ABA announced that it was going to do a pilot project with Rocket Lawyer. And 
I did a story that October because everybody knew that nothing was really going to happen with this because of the biggest problem with the ABA is that they only have these one-year cycles. I could bore you to tears with uh, on that. But the, the key point was... As I'd mentioned before, the organized bar had just been so aggressive about anything that they even thought could hint at taking work away from a lawyer. And the dirty little secret was the lawyers needed this work, and especially the lawyers who are in small firms who want to do, there's sort of, in my opinion, two different types of small firms. They're like the big law people who want to go boutique and want to just have a very defined, like Littler, Sedgwick. But for the folks who want to service the average Americans who we've already said don't do 80, this is such an opportunity not just to get the service to them, but to get lawyers' jobs. And I've been advocating for what I call concierge lawyering, where if you get someone who's scared to death of lawyers, who's never done it, and they go on one of those sites, Avo, you know, any of them, and for 25 bucks, 29 bucks, they get 15 minutes in a form and somebody will look at it. If they have a good experience, they're going to come back. And that's what nobody in the past until this deal at the ABA would even acknowledge that the people who wanted to serve that audience couldn't make a decent living. When I got into the bar, the average California lawyer made $50,000. That's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, I want to push back a little bit on the, on the okay. notion that some of these technologies aren't taking legal jobs. Certainly okay. some of them are freeing up, as you say, lawyers should kind of do more actual lawyering and less you know, clerical work. But some of them are taking lawyer jobs. I mean, isn't, oh, yeah. isn't, isn't something law. like LegalZoom, LegalZoom, LegalZoom is fundamentally... If I'm a trust and estates lawyer, LegalZoom is fundamentally taking a client that I used to have and putting them online, right? And taking it away from me, right? So there are, there are some technologies that... I mean, to some extent, yeah. But I think, I think what Monica's getting at that... And, and that goes to this audience. Like, I think it is taking some of, like, a big law trust and estates job away. But for a small lawyer who's doing a small shop trust and estates, it's when you're on your own, don't have a backlog of models to work off of. It can help you get a form, and then you apply your legal judgment to editing that form. Like it's it's kind of it's almost like having your own bank of uh, precedents to work with. And that's exactly what I did when I formed my LLC. My my lawyer got the form from Rocket Matter, and then he processed it. Yeah. And where you are absolutely right, though, is in big law. And those of you who've been familiar with what Casey Flaherty is doing in terms of trying to streamline and making sure that tech is being used and they're not getting overbilled, well. There's a prediction that what's really going to be hit is some of the associates in big law because the things they're doing, like e-discovery, that's going to go away. There is going to, and I know that Lennon is, I believe, is here somewhere. You just did a wonderful program about the impact of who's going to survive and who's not. Lawyers, he says, are going to stay. Judges are going to be at jeopardy. And assistants, the ones who are doing the stuff that's now automated, they're going to change. But there's so many jobs that are happening. I think we have to look at the big thing. And the ultimate thing is, as, as Eric Press, the, my former boss and the former head of, of ALM's editorial unit, Bespoke is going to stay. Nothing's going to hurt Bespoke because if you've got a multi-multi-billion dollar thing and it's international, you're going to write a check happily for whatever they want. But for the great bulk of routine stuff, it's going to balance out, I think. And I think it's going to help 
the users, whether they're low, whether they're low poverty, whether they're multimillionaires. This is all really, really good. And I've been living and breathing this, and I don't see, I haven't seen anything that tells me that now, except for those folks, junior associates. the junior associates, and they'll they'll be fine. They'll, they'll if they're still interested in law, they'll make it. Don't worry, there aren't as many junior going to be as many junior associates if you've been following uh, people taking the. It'll be fine. Yeah. They'll be able to get away yeah. to Mexico to escape their debts. And the, and the other thing is, guess what? The equity uh, in big law, the equity partners getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's been a couple of really... Eric Press wrote an amazing story about this. So I know I'm sort of rambling along here, but I really, really think that there's 95% good on the tech that's coming. And the most important thing is it's going to reinvent the way we do law, and it's going to reinvent the relationships that we have with it. And I, I think it's really exciting. How's that good? Because like, it's like, better. Big law associates and big law partners—they're going away, and that's awesome. No, it's no. better, faster, cheaper, cheaper, transparent, and it's going to make the costs more reasonable, and everybody's going to still make a lot of money. Yeah, and and I do think that Monica's coming from a good, a, a longer view of this because you've seen technology trends and heard the sky is falling for years. Yeah and seen it not fall, which I think is an encouraging way of looking at technology when you have Luddite naysayers like my friend Ellie up here who <laughs> says, oh, technology scares me. I don't like change. I'm not a naysayer. I'm just like acknowledging the Terminator. Like you just, it's sitting there. It's a Terminator. Let's just. It's not a Terminator. It's a change. You know, are you still using eight tracks? No, you know, but I'm still using my CDs for my. I, I'm obsessed with audiobooks because I had trouble lo- downloading them, mostly because I want to share my book when I'm done with it and give it to somebody else. You know, but the bottom line is, this is going to be good for everybody, everybody, because it's going to make it better, faster, cheaper, transparent. Yeah. Talk a little bit about talking to actual Luddites. As I think that you know, <laughs> lawyers are notoriously slow to change conservative by nature, technophobes by nature. We don't like math. Talk a little bit about like getting lawyers to become adopters of some of these, to embrace these changes as opposed to fearing them like people who are not me might. Well, this will maybe surprise you. And I am not under the hood. I am totally not under the hood. If I have a tech thing, I got to call somebody. I'm a baby boomer, you know. So I feel the baby boomers' plans too. I still get what's happening. The advice that I give, number one, it's now a California law, and I think this, and, and the ABA has bumped this up too on e-discovery. In California, you have an ethical obligation to either know the e-discovery stuff and how to use the technology or to bring the right person in. And it's going to get to the point where you're going to go up on the, on the ice flow if you can't do e-discovery. It's too good and it's too easy and, it's, and the cost... I did a white paper on a consultancy on e-discovery managed services and that's another example of where having other folks do the so-called mundane task frees up not just the lawyers, but it also frees up the support staff to get billable stuff for the firm. So it's another win, win, win. But... I also know that it's very, very hard. I think the baby boomers, we have to realize that if we can't do it, you have to get somebody who can. And the advice I give, though, is, and this goes to 
anybody. Tech is not easy. You do not have to know every single thing. But take it day to day. Take it bite to bite. Learn a new tool. It's, you don't have to have a PhD in the tech, but you have to know what you don't know and be open to bringing in the people who can help you. Because otherwise, I'm a Darwinist. If you don't do it, you're going to become extinct. You know, and again, I think there's nothing we can do about it. So bear that in mind. Don't think you can put your head in the sand. So if you don't get under a hood, if you don't know how to do it yourself, aren't you in danger of putting your practice, you know, letting your practice be held hostage by a 25-year-old snot-nosed person who speaks in C++ <laughs> chews gum on the phone while he's talking to you? Get with and it. He's, and, he's, and he or she has your whole <laughs> practice in, in her hands. Well, you know what? Have a really good malpractice plan. <laughs> and the baby boomers, we have to embrace the next generations. We have to mentor them. We have to, to give them the opportunities to what, take you. But when they're on your lawn, you want them sometimes <laughs> to get off. Well, that's your call. <laughs> yes, hiring people introduces risk. Congratulations. But it is something that you have to do. And yeah, yeah you're putting your practice in somebody else's hands. But that happens every day with any firm that brings in, literally, unless you are a solo practitioner who can handle everything on your own and knows C++, you're going to be in this position. Can I switch the topic for a second? Go for it. Because I really, I'm, I'm on this preaching tour thing at this point about stem cells. I did a column for ALM. Not stem cells, stem. Was, yeah, stem. No, research. no, I said stem cells. Oh, okay. It, when I was coming to the end of my role at ALM, I was doing a series of profiles that I loved, it, the cheekiness of this. I called it stem cells. And I profiled women who were successful. One of the messages that I think it's important for us to, for all of us in this room who have children, who are mentoring people, who have people coming up, up that you are guiding, please, please preach to them that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Because it's too easy to look at a profile and go, oh, I could never do with this person. So I, I, I profile people like Lucy, I can never pronounce her last name, Blatty, I believe it is, who's at Microsoft. She has three children and she's a high-level person at Microsoft. And what I'm trying to show folks is perfection is not necessary. And we need to teach our children and the youngsters that we are involved with Words are so powerful, and especially when they're coming from parents. And I think it's so, so, so important that we teach our children to be fearless. And we teach our children, I'm so lucky, I think I mentioned before, my wacky family, my father and my mom said, you can do anything, Monica, it won't be easy. You can do anything. And for some reason, in every family, everybody hears different things, but that's what I heard. And I think more than anything else, I always have had this attitude as, you know, I can play with the boys. I can do anything that they're doing. And, and it was like, I never for a moment felt, and I went, every woman in this room has probably experienced some really nasty, bad behavior from men. And Joe, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was not, wondering when there was going to be I'm, some pushback. I've been yeah. pushing you really hard. Yeah. I'm not being Pollyanna on this. It, I'm not saying it's all sweet and honey. But what they hear from you, you're so powerful to your children and your nieces and your nephews and your other folks. Tell them 
that they can do it. Tell them you don't have to be perfect and tell them to be fearless because I'm just so, so blessed. My family was nuts, but they sent me into the world with an attitude of, of course I can do that. And I can't think of anything. I never found a husband, but I did everything else. <laughs> yeah, but I'm so grateful. They're overrated. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but anyway, if you're doing things, email me. I'm continuing to do, I'm doing a different series with Bloomberg, but I'm going to continue to find women, and we don't have to be perfect. So if you want to be in one, if you're interested in telling your story, if you know someone really good, it's, the easiest one is monicabay1 at gmail.com. I want to tell the stories because that's how we will empower the young men and women coming up behind us. So I think we're, we're, running, uh, we're running out of time here. So I wanted to close up. So we're dealing with a lot of small solo folks, people who are starting small solo practices, people who have established ones. You know, it's going out on their own, being their own bosses, which brings me to, I just wanted to ask, like, what's the best piece of advice you ever got that would like, that would speak to people going out and doing their own thing, being fearless, like you said? When I was at the rock and roll radio station I was working for and doing the United Way thing, I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor who was the head of the Sacramento Press Corps. Uh, He was with AP. And I was really torn between was I going to stay in law, where I would obviously make more money, or stick with journalism. And he, he said, Monica, do what you really, really love and everything else will fall into place. And I took a huge leap because I, I didn't have any family support financially. I was on my own. I was dead up to here and everything. And I just took a huge, huge link and said yes when the recorder asked me to join them. And it was the second best decision I made in my entire life. The first was not marrying my fiancé, but that's another story. <laughs> that's the perfect place to end, I think. So... <laughs> Thank you, Monica. Thank you all. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 